0: Hi fm presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights.
1: Paddy Clay, briefly to state that Paddy spent 40 years in journalism as a reporter and consultant Manager, editor, and trainer in radio, print, and online. She was a correspondent for foreign networks during the 80s and 90s, and more recently a judge on the Alan Payton Book Awards. She has an MA in digital journalism leadership, and received the Vodacom National Columnist Award in 2007. Patty, welcome.
2: Thank you, Sarah.
1: Okay. That's and uh, I see <laughs> Oh, we're going to put Cecilia in the back at the moment, and uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> just us in the front. Okay, um, Patty, Before we get to before we get to where things are now, um, you were in the, your journalism career spanned over literally the the long and extended death rows of apartheid to to very recently. So it's both the apartheid era, the move to democracy, and the sort of slump towards economic disaster. Um, What, for you, have been a couple of the sort of really standout periods in your experience from a journalistic point of view?
2: Oh, that's uh, so reaching back into these uh, many, many decades. Well, of course, the the highlight was really the changeover, um, Mm. the release of Mandela. Um, It was something I grew up. My father covered Mandela's trial. Um, so I grew up waiting for the moment of his release. Um, and so I would say that was still, you know, the the biggest moment in covering things. Um, and uh, I've been watching what happens since. And it has been a disappointment, to say the mm-hmm. least, because when I think back to hopeful days... Um, and the change we were all hoping to see, mm. I'm not seeing much that is positive now. Mm. We have become more racist. Um, this this country that had so much possibility because it was handed over more or less intent mm. um, and had everything going for it. And we were going to be the poster child of Africa. And I worry now that um, that seems very far off. And when you, you know, Ethiopia and other countries uh, seem to be making more sense in how they're handling themselves than we are.
1: Mm. It's really a situation of going from the the darling of the world, particularly, as you say, with that Mandela period in, in all its, dare I say, glory, and the hope that South Africa was really the... Almost the 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 center of 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 what of what Africa could be, and we've we've essentially wasted all that goodwill. Um, Is there? I mean, one gets the impression that we we just we're never going ever going to be that again.
2: Yes. uh, Look, we have. um... For the last 15 years, I've been sort of leading an equity program mm-hmm. uh, that saw young journalists coming into a company and being looked after and mentored by me for the beginning of, of their careers. And that gave me a short, sharp um, burst of hope. Here were good young minds coming in. Um, they were all passionate about the profession. They were passionate about their country. Um, they had, some of them had come through, you know, terrible lives in order Mm. to get their degrees. Um, some of them were, you know, starting off as nice middle class kids and were still getting their degrees and being A students. So that gave me a big fillip of hope. Mm -hmm. Um, and i 've seen that decline already in the last couple of years yes i 'm not involved with them anymore, and the program isn 't going, mm. but it seems all that was has been squandered in a way because they 're not going to get jobs they 're going mm. to be an unhappy generation without opportunities
1: mm. um, and and the decl- just to comment your comment on the decline in journalism because I certainly remember um, in the '80s and '90s we had it's some extraordinary journalism to rely on, particularly in, in uncovering the apartheid state and what it what was what it was about to. But the, but generally, the view now is that the quality of of journalism all round has uh, has deteriorated. What would you what would you hold the reason for that to be?
2: Well, I would say there is still good journalism. I think investigative journalism and the fact that investigative journalism is continuing despite the complete collapse of the media industry, you know, there's simply no money going around. So for wow. investigative journalists to have been able to continue is a miracle. And the amount of books that have come out from journalists that have exposed the wrongdoings that are going on are, are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know how they managed to still do journalism and write all these books, <laughs> yeah. but but general, the day-to-day journalism, the objective, put out the facts, let the reader decide, make, come to a conclusion, treating your reader as an intelligent person who would like to hear different voices, that mm. seems to have gone by the wayside and that I sort of blame on, on the editing and gatekeeping process. And I can't deny that the gatekeeping in terms of politics mm. is what worries me the most. In 2003, I was at Pointer Institute, which is the journalism institute in the United States on a leadership course mm. and the management grew Jill Geisler, stood up in that room and she said, we must all be careful of our biases. Tell me, which of your newsrooms has a Republican in it? (laughs) And everybody started looking around the room furtively
1: Mm.
2: and nobody could come up with the pet Republican in the newsroom. Mm. And I suddenly realized that that was happening in our newsrooms as well that everybody was on side and so on side that it was impossible to state the other side or get to know the Mm. other side. And I have never been a member of a political party while a journalist. Mm. Um, And I never spoke about what my political views were while I was a journalist. But increasingly, that has happened, and with social media, that has been allowed Mm. to happen. That people can put out opinions Just like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Paddy, can I, maybe, I, 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 would like to ask you a question on that because, because, excuse me, um, sorry. Mm. Paddy, <laughs> I'd like to ask you a question on that because, you, could jump you know, in. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm part of the, the, the sort of uh, alternative media space that's developed in South Africa. You know, this, this growing online presence, if you will, um, whether people hate it or love it, of mostly, you know, uh, different voices that are presenting news, opinion, analysis, um, through a lens that you don't see on traditional media. And it's a growing, as I argued, or well, I said, um, uh, medium. What are your thoughts about that? Should that be imported to an extent into traditional media houses? And specifically, when I, when I say this, should we be seeing journalists who openly state um, their political worldview, not necessarily who they vote for and support? That's absolutely relevant, but rather, you know, if a journalist is a, a conservative, you know, to say, not that they need to say that in every piece, but like an, an outwardly stated um, bias in that regard, so that people get a sense of where they're writing from, almost like what you have in America to an extent, you know, where someone, if they work at Fox yes. News, you, you kind of know that, you know, they'll still deliver the news, but you know where they their worldview stands on issues. Yes,
2: I, look, I'd agree with you. You know, time moves on and things do change. Um, and it now has become partisan. Um, but it's it's important to have partisanship on either side or mm. all the way in between, all the gradations of political thought represented by media, whether by independence, alternate, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. We should have that, and that should be allowed, which is why I believe so so wholeheartedly in freedom of expression, mm. because... You know, you should be able to hear from everybody. However oh, yeah. mad they are and lunatic they are, they'll just have brutal. fewer, fewer listeners, fewer people will pay attention to them, but at least we'll know that they're out there. I covered mm. the right wing during the 80s. I covered Eugene Tablanche, um, on his, on his footsteps, nowhere near his underpants or anything like <laughs> that. You know, following oh, his... <laughs> <laughs> Not staring into his wonderful piercing blue eyes or anything, but um, uh, <laughs> allow that person i mean allow the stupidity of it all to be exposed by simply Absolutely. giving it space and I think i 'm very excited about alternative media coming up and other voices about podcasts mm-hmm. um, that is certainly you know also when when the internet started up and uh, we were studying it and I, that was part of my, my studies, which I went to rather late in life, my MA, um, the whole thing was it will self-correct in the end. You know, mm-hmm. people also, if they come up with an incorrect fact, fact on internet, for instance on Twitter now, other people will be able to correct them. And you can hear all sounds. So I think there is a different way of managing media, but it would still be quite nice to have a, a central core that uh, reported the facts. This is what happened. So and so said this. This other person said that. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And then you could have your opinion makers on either side or you could have your people who Go out and say we're reporting. We're supporting this party. We're supporting that party. At the moment, of course, it's all rather lopsided.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and maybe you know, I, I want to get your view on this because, again, it's testament to the hunger uh, for alternative views, alternative. Uh, spaces that people can engage on on ideas, opinions, etc., is the growth. I mean, my channel, for instance, has seen phenomenal growth um, in, in a very short space of time, and I could make the same case for other YouTubers, for instance. But I wanted to sort of uh, let me know or, or get, give me a sense, if anything, of where you think journalism, therefore, is going to head, especially in this country, as you, you seem to have a a, a society that's. Grown wary of traditional media. I mean, we're seeing media houses literally, in some cases, retrained staff, and this is before even COVID, um, and even a juniorization, if you will, of you know the the the, the newsroom. Um, your sense of the South African traditional media space uh, and really hard journalism—is it a dying field?
2: I I think that the model the model is they still haven't found a way out of, of the the problems that the revolution that has happened in media. Um, so the mainstream media is still struggling with that. I think um, there's a lot a lot of the reason is they have lost touch with their audience mm. um, and their readers and they are just they have become a thing unto themselves and journalists believe they carry the truth. Whereas mm. the truth lies with what their audience, their readers have to say in their ordinary lives. Mm. Um, so mm. I do think it's this kind of a disengagement with with people and their real needs. For instance, you know, this obsession with race when uh, an IRR survey will come up with the fact that this is not the most pressing problem mm. um, that people feel on the ground why are the media not taking notice of that? Why are they pushing all the woke buttons when this is a profoundly conservative country Mm
1: -hmm. where people
2: go to church um, and where people have very old-fashioned views about lives and family and culture, and yet, you know, we're we're talking all this other stuff. We're trending and hashtagging and everything. That's not what they want from their middle-of-the-road media. Mm-hmm. But I do think that that um, increasingly people will put out their own messages. So mm-hmm. political parties will run their own YouTube channels, as we are already seeing, their own uh-huh. live streaming, uh, and we will get it from the horse's mouth, um, which is rather good. But we will continue to miss out on what has always been a problem in South Africa, rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, for me, that the most uh, eye-opening thing is to get reports from Isoleswe uh oh. in KZN. And here, some of the stories coming out of the countryside there, they don't get mainstreamed. Oh. And the unfortunate thing is in this new sort of media, they might be forgotten altogether if Isoleswe doesn't continue to come out.
0: Absolutely.
2: <laughs> so that concerns me.
1: Uh, uh, can I take us on a slightly different tack I may, I may come back to this and this is looking at uh, in your um, CV your value amongst other things freedom of speech, opinion and choice um, I would venture that uh, neither of those three good values would be found much in the young feminism feminists of today uh, who look more to critical race theory identitarianism and intersectionality. Um, I think you've I, just
2: triggered me. You have just triggered me, Sarah. <laughs> so I've, 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 you know, said my trigger words.
1: <laughs> but it, it, it's very, it's very worrying because we're almost. You see, my sense is that feminism. Um the, 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 the women of the West are looking for, for causes when not that many exist anymore, relatively speaking. And so it's almost becoming an infant, infantilization where you have um, tantrums and uh, you won't listen to the other side. And, it's, and of course, you, you, a lot of the people you see involved in a lot of the protests in the West are, are women, are young women. Question I have to ask, and you can elaborate on as much as you like, why are there so few women com- openly committed to classical liberalism? Uh-huh. <clears throat> well, it's all become a
2: fashion trend as far as I can make out. This whole sort of performative uh, female emancipation, free-bleeding, carrying. I don't know, it, it seems to be so much more of a performance, an external thing, rather than an internal thing. Although, I mean, I, I've i met some young, strong women, but they, they tend to be taken over by these icons that put out. I can be speaking to a, a young, sort of feminist-sounding woman, and then she'll suddenly kind of praise Beyonce as the epitome of woman's lib and... It's it's a very sort of disjointed thing for me. I, I I think one has to live one's feminism in a in a way that is um, that fits in with society um, and show demonstrate that you are the equal demonstrate that women's mm. brains are as good as men's um, but they're different which is the prize mm. to have this difference incorporated into everything. Um,
1: hasn't,
2: hasn't that also been going a, problem a problem Sorry? Sorry. I was that say,
1: hasn't that been a problem with, with areas of, of feminism um, since the 60s in the sense of um, striving for equality with men instead of um, equal respect and equal regard because women are different to men, and they will do different things, and they will be attracted by different careers, and that's fine.
2: Yes, um, I think that that whole thing—the equality, the equality narrative—that is far more than equality and feminism. It's an equality narrative going for socialism. It's trying to bring us a revolution. It's the anti-establishment mm. um, thing. It's it's all. All part of the same narrative. And so they're going for equality, which is this equality of outcomes, which is impossible. Mm. You know, when you've lived you, long, when one's lived long enough, as they say, <laughs> um, you you realise that life is not fair. I know that might sound like Jordan Peterson saying something, but life is not fair. Yeah. You're not going to be treated equally, however equal you may be in your in your legal rights mm. in everything. People will treat you differently if you're blonde. People will treat you differently if you have freckles. Um, no. You know, I, I, I think they're going for an ideal that does not exist, Absolutely. and so they'll never get there, Absolutely. so they'll always be unhappy, which is a Absolutely. terrible thing to think that you live your whole life unhappy. Um, mm. But I do think South Africa has a problem that people are latching onto overseas trends and they're not looking at their own society. Our biggest problem and is the, culture, and, and, and until and we
0: you, overcome that. So, and Paddy, as I was about to say, let's pick that up after the break. We have to take an air break right now. Um, as we delve into these issues, a little bit more meat and potatoes, because I think Paddy's right. But uh, with that being said, a uh, quick air break, and we'll be back after these short messages. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. All right, welcome back to the IRR show. We are in conversation with Paddy Clay, journalist and acclaimed broadcaster, over 40 years of experience. And we were chewing the facts on all sorts of issues here on the show. Before the break, we were beginning to look into an issue which I think is actually quite critically important for people to understand insofar as where we are as South Africans and what ideas we're importing into our country. Paddy, we were looking at feminism generally. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people who may be listening uh, might be wondering, you know, but, but feminism is a thing that we, we grew up being told is a fantastically good thing. And really, if you look at the earlier feminists, you know, the sort of first wave, I like to call it feminists, the suffragettes, um, people who are calling for genuine equality in a society between men and women. Um, it does seem, as uh, Sarah was pointing out, that that form of feminism has given way for this new age feminism, which is now sort of informed by different ideas, ones that suggest that actually equality is not enough. The real goal is to create special pockets for special interests um, based on identity, you know, the rise of identity politics. Um, Your view on that, you know, has has that been something you've charted and and kept an eye on over, over time in your career, the rise of identity politics?
2: Oh yes, I, I have I have seen this rise, but it's really um, speeded up in the last few years, and I think that's what's that's what's quite amazing. How it's always been this underlying current, um, but usually confined to academia. But academia seems to have had a very very powerful influence on on the generation now with with the the, the critical theory stuff. I can't wait for the book Cynical Theories that's coming out this month. <laughs> Um and, you know, the, it, it, it has just galloped along and, and speeded up so fast, this identity thing. Um it worries me because I think, I think the old fashioned classic, uh, feminism, I'm a second wave, or maybe a, a one foot in the, in the third wave. Um but I really think it's, it's, the problem we have here is that we don't acknowledge that actually If we can, if we can conquer poverty, we can improve women's lives immediately. They're over Mm. half of the population. Uh, If we had things like, um, proper law and order and a functioning and well trained, properly trained police force, we Mm. protect women so much better. And then that other third thing, which is culture, which Mm. is in my view, holding us back. Um, When I think of my young graduate women, bright women going on in their future and then having to go back home and with grandmother on Sunday will make them scrub the kitchen floor, which is all very dutiful. But what kind of signal does that send out to the men in the family? Mm. So those little things, if they continue, are going to hold women back because they may gain all the equality and they are getting all the opportunities now. There is absolutely no doubt, you know, to be a young black woman is to be a princess
0: in mm-hmm. South
1: Africa.
2: Um, and but what is all that saying when you still retain that other thing when you're still playing paying b- bride price? Um, What does that say to the men out there? So the thing is continually being undercut. So we have gained tremendously. We've got advocacy groups. We've got lobby groups. We've got everything allowed to operate good laws on paper, but they're not being acted out in social life because of poverty and because of culture and because we are failing everybody in protecting them.
1: Uhm, can I, can I also raise, probably you're my favourite, um, idiotic subject, and that is we also have the Department of Women, <laughs> Children, the d- Disabled, um, And
2: other disabled people. Uh, uh,
1: and, and, uh, I mean, it, it's got to be the most condescending, patronising idea that half of the population has to be treated like a, a, a sort of Outside interest group that needs help, they need to be given forty percent of up and coming uh, contracts uh, with a state. It's 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 that very idea that you know the fight for women to get uh, regarded with as with equality. They actually have to simply they must be in the same space as men. They they, they cannot be treated as this special grouping, which is one of the reason I'm not a fan of uh, of, of of Women's Day. Um, Yes, me too. I I, ca- I can't see I can't see how you need a department to do things that have to be done by other departments properly anyway. Yes,
2: I mean any good government should uh, should be find women should be integrated into every single policy every policy should be checked against how does this affect everybody? Do any groups in here have particular problems? Have we overcome them? Finished you don 't need mm-hmm. special ghettos, um, they really are ghettos where we we place people and how do you portray women as you know equal to to everybody else if you continue to treat them like these threatened extinct species? Women are more than half the population. women are probably stronger in many ways than men except po- mm-hmm. possibly physically um, and why why do we not Grab it and say, you know, we are, we are this. It will be quite a difficult fight in some cultures um, oh. and some societies. But you know, 64 years, we did achieve a lot since 1956. We achieved a lot since 1902. We we really have come a long way, and we can continue to do that without <clears throat> hating on men without becoming special creatures. You know, it's all entitled princesses these days. It's very mm-hmm. worrying.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Paddy, in the last sort of minutes or so, time has really escaped us. Um, you know, I, I really want to pose this question in, in, because you have so much insight. The, the modern journalists today, how do they reclaim their space? Um, because I do think there is a, a, a role For good quality, honest journalism. How do they reclaim this space to tell those stories, to tell those South African stories, in a way in which the world, you know, pays attention again to us um, as a society?
2: Well, well, we have to decide: Are we telling the stories to ourselves, or or telling it? you know, to other people. Um, And I think we need to tell the stories here. I haven't got a a solution as to how we can cover those things that aren't normally covered because it comes down to who's going to pay. Mm. It would be very nice if we had millionaires in this country like they have in America who set up media houses um, if you think about it, mm. the Atlanta Journal Constitution came about because they were selling secondhand cars and cars, and they mm. needed something to carry the adverts. Mm. Um, that that model has gone. But who mm. who will, without mm. strings, and not be George Soros, who will fund people to do what they want?
1: Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And, and maybe everybody, else,
2: new, new frame has risen up, but that's been funded from the left, from the labor movement. Mm. Um, yeah. and it's good that it's in the, it's in the panoply of media choice. Mm. There should be a new frame on one end, doing quite good journalism, I might say. Mm. Um, and, w- but where is there going to be a funder who will allow people to say, what they want to say, to take a variety of positions. Everyone is so Mm -hmm. corralled now into the woke identity politics thing that stepping outside that, nobody wants to put their money to it.
0: And on that bombshell of a question, um, I must thank you, Paddy Clay, while you've left us with food for thoughts there. Uh, Paddy, are you on social media? How do the folks reach you?
2: Uh, Yes, um, I am on social media, but I'm not a sort of, you know, influencer. (laughs) I'm on social media at Paddy Clay because I also don't believe in being anonymous.
0: Oh, there you go. Um, Paddy Clay, thank you so much for joining us on the IRR show. That is Paddy Clay, a renowned journalist, broadcaster, really someone who, uh, you know, we should have perhaps on the show again um, as we chat the Chatted about all things under the sun around various issues. Um, Paddy, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. It's been fun.